Well, good morning, folks. It's great to gather again together. And uh, I thought I'd just pick up the story of uh, about a person called Jackie Weaver. She was uh, made news just over a week or so ago. And as I mention her name, some of you are going to know immediately who I'm talking about. And some of you are going to go, I've never heard of that person at all. So for the benefit of those of you who don't know who Jackie Weaver is, she uh, sort of became famous overnight uh, as uh, a person who was part of uh, a local council meeting in a town called Handforth in Manchester. She is chief officer for the Cheshire Association for Local Councils and she was hosting a, a Zoom meeting back in December. And uh, you can go yourself and watch it on YouTube. There's various different versions of what happened. It was a Zoom meeting for this local council and she was really just um, kind of hosting the actual meeting but what ensued was a bit of um, foul play in terms of things that were being said by the chairperson and by the vice chair uh, they were extremely rude and uh, she wasn't having any of it she remained really calm and she removed these individuals from the meeting which you can do on zoom and uh, this obviously happened back before Christmas time, and I, I don't actually know the full ins and outs of the story, but obviously uh, a recording of this became public and uh, it went viral. So last Friday, uh, apparently it was the highest trending thing that was going through Twitter. And uh, subsequently, uh, she, she appeared on Radio 4 Women's Hour. She was on Channel 4's uh, The Last Leg and on ITV Good Morning Britain. Uh, and, and really she came from uh, being an unknown to someone who was well known. She went from zero to hero. And I heard about this last, last week, I was listening to the radio and I'd never heard of the story. And uh, it was even mentioned, how true this is, I don't know. So, so I could be spreading malicious gossip here right now. <laughs> but uh, apparently she was tipped as a, a potential candidate for Strictly Come Dancing. Uh, which she had declined. How true that is, who knows? But that's not the point. The point is, this is an unknown person who went from zero to hero. And the reason for telling you this introductory story simply is that we pick up the story of Joseph, of which we've been talking about for the last number of weeks. This unknown person, this, this slave sold to a foreign nation, someone who'd served a master for a number of years, who was wrongly convicted and imprisoned and shut away and forgotten about for over two years now. Forgotten, banged up, in jail, forgotten. And yet this is the moment in the story that we read about in chapter 41 of Genesis where Joseph is about to be released and promoted from prisoner to prime minister. And uh, we can pick up the story simply because Pharaoh has his own dreams. And if we know anything about Joseph, he's a good dreamer, but he's also an interpreter of dreams. And so we pick up the story, chapter 41, Pharaoh has two dreams. The first dream simply is this, as he's sleeping, he sees himself at the river Nile. And he there, he sees seven uh, fat, healthy uh, looking cows followed by seven gaunt, thin-looking cows. And he wakes up and then goes to sleep again and has another dream. And in that dream, 
He, ha he sees these images of seven healthy uh, ears of corn, followed by seven ears of withered looking scorched corn. And he wakes up, it's morning time, and these dreams disturb him. They're not ordinary dreams. There's something about these that play on Pharaoh's mind and he contemplates them and wants to know, is there meaning behind them? And if so, what are those? What is the meaning? He calls his magicians and wise men and retells the story or tells, retells the dreams to them and they are of no use and no benefit to him whatsoever. Verse 9 and 41 says, Then the chief cupbearer, who must have been present at the time, um, he, uh, he says to Pharaoh, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. What a brilliant way of basically saying, I forgot all about my mate Joseph, who interpreted my dreams for him. And in fact, flip, he told me, uh, I was meant to put in a good word for him, but as we remember from last week, he forgot all about it. He tells Pharaoh, he says, a young Hebrew man, uh, a young Hebrew was there with me in prison, a servant of the captain guard. We told him our dreams, that's we and the baker, uh, him and the baker, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. So Joseph calls for Pharaoh. So, so, so Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Joseph is shaved, he's scrubbed up, he's given new threads to wear. Uh, and goes to meet before Pharaoh. All of those years of faithfulness, of the unseen being, um, living this life of obscurity all of the time, alone, but with God. In the eyes of the world, and certainly in the eyes of, or, or the memories of his brothers, sold, forgotten, good riddance, buried beneath the earth, in the cold and the winter, lies the bulbs in the ground doing its thing. We don't see it, but very soon we're going to see it. We're going to see those sprouts come up in, in our grass, in our lawns or wherever the bulbs are planted, just beneath the ground doing their thing. That's where Joseph has been for all of this time, ready to spring up, ready to come up, ready to come out. Joseph the shepherd from far away land enters the throne room of Pharaoh the most powerful person in that part of the world. The contrast between the two of them is startling. Joseph, who's in prison, coming to the Pharaoh, who's in the palace. Joseph, the prisoner, coming to the king. Pharaoh adorning gold chains around his neck. Joseph displaying the bruises from the, from the shackles, the only piece of metal that are adorning him. Pharaoh, who leads armies and builds pyramids, maybe not just yet in history, to Joseph who's been tending to his inmates in prison. Pharaoh who is the king ding, and he's almost like godlike to the people. And Joseph the slave, the prisoner, accused sex offender. The contrast between the two is startling and yet that does not phase Joseph. He goes before Pharaoh. And with great confidence we read in verses 15 and 16, Pharaoh says to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, 
but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And here lies within the secret, the key ingredient that we read time and time again about Joseph's life, the key ingredient that we would do well again always to apply to our own lives. Joseph admits, I cannot do it, but God can do it. It's God who gives Joseph the interpretation to the dream. That always, for Joseph, as he practiced all of those years, as he practiced the presence of God in his life, that for us has to always be and continue to be the key ingredient for us as we choose to live our lives. The gift of dreaming and interpretation comes from God. He attributes the source of his ability and he's not afraid to say it to Pharaoh. This person who's deemed as a God himself, he's not afraid to say that God Almighty is the one who gives. And actually in the the verses that go on, Joseph mentions four times, four times that it's God who's given Pharaoh the dreams. It's God who will give the interpretation of the dreams. It's God who's warning you that there's things that are to come that you need to pay attention to. And he's not afraid to say it to Pharaoh. These last number of months have been incredibly difficult for all of us throughout uh, our society and across the world, of course. During times of isolation and remoteness, the inability to connect and communicate with one another, the way that's impacted and impinged on our lives has been utterly utterly uh, tremendous in so many ways. On the one hand, what it has done is it's drawn people without faith to question faith and to question uh, God and and, and his ways. There have been more people that have um, attended church, virtually speaking, than ever before. The the numbers of people tuning in uh, has, has has been really, really positive and really high which has been wonderful uh, coupled with that the numbers of people reported in terms of uh, praying and calling out and crying out to God have also seen a dramatic increase as well so this basically tells us that there are people who are hungry there are people who are interested there's people that are uh, drawing close to God and God is using this time to actually draw people to himself and then on the other hand From a church perspective, one would expect that actually our inability to meet and to gather uh, people has has nearly silenced our voices. Don't get me wrong, I miss our gathered environments, our gathered groups and our larger gatherings. And I look forward to those times, as I'm sure many of you do too, within the future. However, our voice and our message has not been silenced at all during this time. In fact, in many ways, it's never been louder than ever before. During these months, we've been able to connect with an audience that we would not normally be able to. We, during this time, through the impact that the the ministry like Doorstep Dinners, as we've been able to distribute uh, many, many, many meals and hampers and other ways of reaching out and supporting individuals, We've been able to connect with so many people, which again, possibly, maybe we wouldn't have been able to unless it was for this time. Also with that, 
we have uh, doors have opened with uh, people of influence, people um, uh, that just doors have opened to to other people that we wouldn't have normally uh, connected with. And like this, like with the story of Joseph, he comes from a place of obscurity into a position where he's now having face-to-face conversation with the most powerful person there. I anticipate that many of you watching, you will have had your own conversations uh, with neighbours, with colleagues, with friends, with family, as they've been inquiring, they've come to you as a person of faith, if you are a person of faith watching this, and asking questions, my goodness, what's going on? Can you help me interpret the signs of the times? Where is God in this? And we have been able to hopefully give uh, maybe not the answers that people are looking for, but we can certainly point people in the direction of the person of which we continue to entrust our lives to and put our hope and faith in. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Back to the story. Pharaoh uh, retells these dreams to Joseph. And Joseph uh, simply is thinking, my goodness me, this is child play. This is an easy one. Give me something difficult. He says in verses 29 and 30, seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravish the land. You could hear the pin drop in the palace. Famine, as Max Lucado writes in his book, uh, would be a foul word to the Egyptians. He explains that the civilization of Egypt at that time was built, the economy was built, the, 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 the big grand buildings were built upon uh, farming and agriculture. It was the jewel of the Nile. It was the Niles, the river that supplied the land with plenty. During my gap year, at the age of 19, I I went to Israel and spent a number of weeks there and I had the opportunity of traveling into Egypt and traveling around Egypt and just had the most incredible time. And I remember, I think it was being in the Valley of the Kings, which is kind of middle of the country down the Nile, uh, near the city of Luxor, just outside the city. And I remember being at a high point out in the desert, literally is like desert land, but I could see towards the River Nile and you can see the river kind of meandering as it does. And for, I would, I'm guessing 100, maybe 200 meters, both sides of the river, if the center is here, both sides of it, you just see lush green land as the river would supply that land. As many years they would uh, spend time irrigating and taking channels off it to supply that land and creating this lush agriculture. And then beyond that, all you see is just brown, just desert dry land. This was so prompt. The Nile has, has been the lifeblood for that nation for, for all the years, obviously, afterwards as well. Famine was going to be bad for the economy. It was going to be bad for their power. And ultimately, it was going to cost many, many lives. But Joseph doesn't just stop there in his interpretation of the dreams for Pharaoh. He goes a step further. He says, this is what's going to happen. But hear what I think you should do about it. Verse 33 and 36. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. 
let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. You often meet two types of people in life. There's one, firstly, uh, the, the spotters, the commentators, the people that see problems and they're really good at uh, speaking about it and moaning about it. For example, um, there's no decent shops in Carrickfergus. We often hear. Um, the rubbish that you see lying around in such and such, that's just terrible. Those young people who roam around the streets just causing no, uh, up to no good. I'm not even going to begin to start uh, talking about the coronavirus and the vaccine and the politicians and all, everyone's got an opinion there, don't we? Um, and, and, you know, the, the, there's, there's many of us who are very good at kind of pointing out things. And then you've got another person that sees the problems but wants to do something or at least provide some sort of level of engagement towards working towards a solution to that problem. Someone who sees something but is actually then thinking, oh, but this is what we could do about it. And this is what Joseph does. He sees or he interprets the dreams, but he also proposes a solution. Pharaoh's thinking, who is this guy? I have hit the jackpot here. Why did no one tell me this Hebrew lad has been stuck in prison? He's, how long's he been there? My goodness. Come you here. I think you're the man for the job. Verse 37, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. He then attributes the spirit of God is upon Joseph. He appoints him to the highest position besides himself over Egypt. Joseph goes from zero to hero. Max Licardo, uh, he writes, it's the grandest bounce back in the Bible. And he counts, he, he puts some numerical figures uh, to this. He says, one broken promise, two betrayals, two abductions, multiple attempts of being seducted, 10 jealous brothers, 24 months in prison, mix it all up, spread over 13 years. And what do you have is the greatest bounce back. You would think after all of those things that he endured, you would not have the man that there was. But because he carved out time with God, because he entrusted his life to him in the unseen place, during the pain and through the hardship, because he remained faithful, because he held on to the destiny, those dreams which were given to him as a teenager, he comes and this is the moment, this is the time when he's beginning to fulfill the destiny, the God-given thing that was entrusted to him. Wouldn't it be like Jesus right now during this time, in the unseen, in the times of isolation, through our panic, through the fear, through these moments of anxiety, See these as opportunities for us to draw near to him.
to hand those over to him, to go to those places that we've talked about over many weeks. Wouldn't it be just like Jesus to be doing something in the unseen, preparing us for something that's to come? You see, God uses the pain that Joseph has endured. He uses, he works in him to work through him. One of the privileges and the joys that we get to see and get to experience is journeying with people and through people and seeing and drawing alongside difficult times in in people's lives, but seeing how people abandon themselves to the Lord and how he works in them. And then God takes that very thing, that wound that was inflicted, that thing that you suffered or endured. And God often takes that very thing to connect with other people. And he uses that, that that the enemy might have meant for evil. He turns it for good. And he uses you and he puts you in, in places. And he draws alongside these coincidental meetings with other people. And it's because your story whilst it was terrible at the time, whatever it might have been, God uses your story to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, who have similar stories to the thing that you have endured. We're going to get through this. Hold on, continue to draw near to him, and uh, continue to practice his presence. Stay connected to God, and stay connected to one another through whatever means that you're doing that. We're going to get through this. God's working in us. Springtime's coming. We're hopeful for, for the future. But why don't we, at this moment, why don't we just practice his presence? Why don't we uh, turn to him in prayer? I'm going to pray uh, simply and together just wait upon the Lord. So wherever you are, whoever you are, just why don't you just begin by closing your eyes and join me as we pray. God, like Joseph, we thank you that you are with us, that you are very much present in our lives. And God, instead of choosing to focus our attention here upon whatever it is that is distracting us, is causing us a a sense of harm or a sense of discomfort. Help us to choose our attention to be upon you. That we would draw near to you. I think that 
that's the word of the Lord to many of us watching that God is just simply inviting us to gaze upon him to divert our attention from the things that the things of panic or the things of whatever that is it's going to mean different things to many of you but to turn our attention to turn our gaze onto him and again today we say with our words we surrender to you For some of us that that looks like uh, relinquishing control where you seek to control situations, circumstances, the future, you, you try to eliminate um, risk, you seek to uh, do whatever is in your means to make life safe and it just sounds like there's an invitation here is just to lay that stuff down and just trust in him and that's gonna feel emotionally difficult that's going to um, seem really unnatural but it's a choice and it's an invitation that God's just simply saying just trust me just trust me